<laughs> well, a couple of weeks ago, I was teaching a Bible study in another congregation. And my assignment was to teach about what we believe about the church. I thought I'd done a fairly good job, but one fellow asked me a question afterwards that indicated that I had not really convinced him. Thank you, Father, he said. That was very interesting, but what I'd really like to know is what Jesus thought about the church. You see, I find Jesus to be an incredibly inspiring person. He went around healing the sick, making friends with the poor, and reaching out to the outcast, forgiving sinners and all, but I just don't think he intended to start a church. At least, I don't think, not any kind of institution or organized religion. I love Jesus, the man said, but I just don't see how what he taught has anything to do with the institution of the church. Well, I think the fellow asked me a good question that morning. And so today, my goal is to try to answer it as best as I can. You should have gotten a letter in the mail not long ago inviting you to make an annual pledge of support to St. Augustine's. And next Sunday, we're going to invite everyone to place their pledge cards in the offering plate. We've had a couple of stewardship gatherings, and there's still one more opportunity tomorrow evening at our house to get together and talk about what God's calling us to do in 2020. All of this is to say, of course, that stewardship season in this or any church is about as focused as you can be on the organized part of organized religion, where we invite you to support a church institution, this one. I wish I'd had the presence of mind to invite the fellow who asked me that question to come down to St. Augustine's and take a look at the state of my office, which should have been enough to assure him that I, at least, am not a practitioner of organized religion. That may or may not have made him crack a smile, but I did try to take his question seriously that day. Because it's a serious question, and I think it's one that many people have. People who admire or love Jesus, but are somewhat skeptical on institutional religion. So why can't we just live out the teachings of Jesus in our daily lives? Why can't we worship God in our own way, by ourselves? What does Jesus have to do with the institution of the church? And why should we give time and money to support it? I want to focus this morning on two answers to that question. First and foremost, I think, as we see from the book of Exodus today, God wants to pitch his tent here among us. In Jesus, the eternal word of God became flesh and moved into the neighborhood. And God wants to set up shop and take on flesh here in our neighborhood too. I think that's the first reason. You might call it the incarnational logic of Christianity. God wants to be as real and present here in Oak Cliff on Keast Boulevard as you and I are, or the coffee shop, or the elementary school, or the 7-Eleven. The second reason is tied to the first. When God moves into the neighborhood, he wants to gather together a people, a forgiven and reconciled community drawn from every nation and tribe, doing what Jesus does and going where Jesus goes. Jesus has a mission for us, and it's a mission that we can only carry out together. To do any of this, the fact is that we're going to need at least some level of organization and institutional reality. 
We're going to need at least as much organization as you will find on my office desk. And as my wife will tell you, ideally we need a bit more. We need it because of what God calls us to do together. Because God calls us to come together. And because when we do, God has promised to be as present here and now in our neighborhood as he was when he took on flesh and moved into town in Israel 2,000 years ago. The passage from Exodus we read from this morning is a wonderfully detailed depiction of how the people of Israel came together to build the tent of meeting between God and God's people. If you get bored during my sermon today, you might like to flip through the last 20 or so chapters of Exodus. It's filled with incredibly detailed instructions for how to build the tent of meeting and how to worship in it. It tells the story of how everyone offered up their best in order to build it, how Aaron and Moses prepared to lead worship there for the first time. And the book ends with a cloud covering the tent of meeting and the glory of the Lord filling the tabernacle, so awesome and powerful that Moses can't even go inside. As the Israelites travel toward their new home in the promised land, the glory of the Lord travels with them in the tent of meeting the appointed meeting place that God made with his people. Now, the last 20 chapters of Exodus aren't often read on Sunday mornings for good reason, because truth be told, they are a little dry. They go on and on with organizational matters, stage directions, and logistics. Build it this way. Use this kind of wood. Wash your hands before you go to the altar. Wear these vestments, and so on and so on and so forth. It can remind one at times of what a vestry meeting feels like. All right, the toilets are broken, and the parking lot lights are burnt out, so what will it cost to fix them? Okay, if we're going to hire a new office administrator, here's how much it'll cost, here's how we'll afford it, so on and so forth. It can be a lot of work and expense. Sometimes you might get to wondering, what does all of this institutional stuff have to do with Jesus? But what it's all really about at the end is the glory of the Lord showing up in this place, making all things ready for the place of meeting that God has appointed to be here with his people in this neighborhood. God has appointed a tent of meeting. This is a great mercy that we should never lose sight of. The eternal God who dwells in light inaccessible, the Almighty One who was and is and is to come, has appointed a place for us to come and meet with Him, to hear Him speak His word to us, to listen to our prayers, to be present to us in the sacrament of His body and blood and in the community of His people. You and I don't have to wonder who God is, and whether he cares for us and has a purpose for our lives. We don't have to wander alone through this life. Instead, there has been appointed a tent of meeting between God and his people. Imagine if I told you, you know, my best friend and I, we're really close. Of course, he and I haven't seen or spoken to each other in 20 years, but if I needed him, he'd be right here. I don't think anybody would say that kind of thing. If someone really is your best friend, well, you need to actually meet up in the flesh to remain friends with someone, 
You need to call each other on the phone to hear each other's voice. That's the same thing with God. It would make no sense to say that God is love, but then say that God left us to our own devices and never actually meets with us in person. No. Instead, God appointed a place for him to meet with us and we with him. If that's true, then the tent of meeting between God and humanity needs care and upkeep, just like any place else. But the building where it happens isn't just another building. As the people of Israel knew when they offered up gold, silver, fragrant wood, oil, elaborate hangings, and vestments, some of these took a lot of talent and skill, by the way, if you think about it. It's meant to be a sacred, holy, and beautiful place set aside for nothing other than to be a place of meeting with God. It's not a place, primarily, where things are bought or sold. It's not a place you go to be entertained or make a buck or to see and be seen. Instead, it's simply a place where we go to meet God. That, I think, is the first reason to support the institution of the church. This place is meant to be a house of prayer for all people. And if it weren't here, then where would we go to meet with God? If there were no churches, as is happening in some neighborhoods um, elsewhere in the country as churches closed down, then where would we go? It's meant to be a holy place where the glory of God descends and the cloud fills the room. The moment that the glory descends is what all of the work of building and running the institution was for. That's not the only reason. The second reason is that Jesus gave his church a mission, and it's the kind of mission that we can only do if we do it together. From the very beginning, the church followed Jesus in healing the sick, loving the poor, in welcoming strangers and children and the outcast by doing things together like building hospitals, schools, and charities. If we're going to follow Jesus like this, even in a small way, we're going to need to do it together. You probably know this, but maybe you don't. But the Daughters of the King chapter here at our church prays for every member of this congregation throughout the year. It's moving, I think. They go through a list and make sure that everyone here is prayed for. They also look in on people who are shut in, and they have a service project every month, some of which we all join in as a church, like angel tree presents and school supplies for the kids across the street at Barbara Jordan Elementary. They may not be organized like a Fortune 500 company, but those ladies are organized, and it's because of what they believe Jesus calls them to do together. I lift them up today because I think that they are a wonderful example of what the institution of the church is all about. They're organized for Jesus. They come together faithfully on Sundays to meet with God at the appointed meeting place. They come together in a small group to read scripture and pray. And then they look around to see where they can be the hands and feet of Jesus in the world. One of the things I've been most encouraged about this year at St. Augustine's is the growth that I have seen in community. We have small groups now that meet regularly to grow in faith and grow together in friendship. 
Our Parents' Day Out and our Alpha Parenting Pro course have been bringing together young parents to build a community of families raising their kids to know and love Jesus. The ECW, the Episcopal Church Women, have been blessing our young parents lately by providing a home-cooked meal for them each week at their parenting class. I've also seen people here go through difficult life events like childbirth, health crises, and the loss of loved ones. And I've seen this church come together like a family to surround them with love and prayer. I've seen several new people show up here and feel genuinely welcomed, some who haven't had a church family for a while, and decide before long that this is going to be their new church home. This community, of course, is only about five years old. After St. Paul's, St. George's, and Epiphany joined to become one new church. Back at that time, not that long ago, a lot of people here tell me that they were in survival mode, asking questions like, is this church going to make it? Will this place that's felt like family to me have to close its doors? After five years, I think that we can say with confidence that we're a long way now from being in survival mode. This truly is today a healthy, flourishing church. And we're just at the cusp of going beyond that, too, of no longer needing any financial support from the diocese, and just at the cusp of not just surviving, but really growing to be a blessing and a significant resource for the neighborhood. In many ways, of course, we already are. Our monthly neighborhood meals, high-quality child care at our PDO two days a week, our parenting classes, our support for the Genesis Women's Shelter and Barbara Jordan Elementary. It has been five years. I think it's time to announce that survival mode at this church is over. It's time for us to get excited about what we can do together when we all get organized for Jesus, just like the mighty prayer warriors in the Daughters of the King. Moses told the people to bring their offerings to build God's house, gold and silver, gifts of art and service. And Exodus tells us that they came, everyone whose heart was stirred and everyone whose spirit was willing, and brought the Lord's offering to be used for the tent of meeting in all its service as a free will offering to the Lord. And because they all gave with a generous heart, the text goes on to say that what they brought was even more than was asked for, more than was required. The same thing can happen today. God invites us all to give with a generous heart, that this church may remain a meeting place between God and his people, and that all its service might be organized as the hands and feet and saving good news of Jesus, living and active here in Oak Cliff.